Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Here we are again. <clears throat> you notice um, a phenomenon, maybe you do, maybe you don't, a uh, phenomenon that I uh, notice when I'm practicing. After a while, the, the days just kind of melt one into another. Have you noticed that? It's like you've always been here, you know, <laughs> and you'll always be here. <laughs> but it's not so bad, right? It's just uh, all kind of um, sense of time starts to starts to change, and uh, instead of oh my goodness another day, how can I get through it? It's just comes goes and another day another day. Maybe you feel like well. Now I'm starting to get into it. Um, a few more weeks would be pretty good. <clears throat> it's going to change very soon. <clears throat> I wanted to um, talk tonight about something that, an issue that uh, I find uh, important. Uh, and that is, um, there's so many different instructions. Maybe when you hear me do the instructions in the morning, there's a part of you that says, oh my goodness, how can I remember all of this? There's the breath, okay, and then there's maybe just opening the sounds, and now there's big mind. And lots of different choices and decisions um, in our practice, each day, each moment, in a way, you know, if you're walking, well, how fast should I go? Is this the time for a relaxed walk, or is this a time to really take a look? Or maybe sitting, sitting longer, or sitting shorter, or um, well, maybe this is a time supposed to just relax and just kind of take it easy. I've been kind of over-efforting. Now, now I think I'm supposed to investigate and just really look at the finer details of things. Um, so many decisions. And many people have the question that uh, goes through their head, am I doing it right? How do I know? Uh, is this the right way to practice? If you've had that thought come up 
in your mind. Raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. See, it's nice that you're not alone. Um, is this the right way? Who should I listen to? And then you sit with different teachers and you can get very different messages. You know, like I said the other night with that Burmese uh, teacher, heroic effort, turn up the jets. There's another, uh, another phrase in uh, some teachings, practice like your hair is on fire. <laughs> That'll get you going. <laughs> and then there's, as I mentioned, uh, my teacher, one of my teachers, Manindraji, saying, simple and easy, just simple and easy. Or that uh, Tibetan teaching, you know, as soon as you let go of this grasping, space is here. How do you know what to do? Depending upon who you're practicing with uh, or just where you're, what the instructions are for the day. Many different suggestions. And then there's different voices, not just from the outside, but different voices inside. I think this is the best way. No, maybe this is the best way. Um, well, there are um, so many different ways of practicing. As I, I might have mentioned it here in one of the small groups, the Buddha was uh, the master of skillful means. It said that uh, he offered 84,000 Dharma gates. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk tonight about um, sorting this out and getting in touch um, with clarity to know how the best way to practice would be. The Buddha himself recognized that there were many uh, different ways besides offering different techniques for different people. He also um, offered different ways to work with, uh, with our thoughts, particularly. You know, you, you might think, oh, the idea is to just be mindful. If I'm mindful, everything will take care of itself. <clears throat> when I first got into practice, that's what I thought, and I was just telling everybody, you just have to be mindful, you just have to be mindful. <clears throat> that didn't last very long, because they kind of kept their distance from me. <clears throat> but it's, uh, mindfulness doesn't always work. It's not always the answer. Sometimes the mindfulness isn't strong. <clears throat> or there are other, uh, other factors that, uh, that make it maybe not uh, the most uh, skillful strategy. <clears throat> the Buddha noticed and knew how easy it is to get caught up in your thoughts and how easy it is to get uh, identified with them and to take them to be real. In uh, one beautiful teaching, or one powerful teaching, I should say, uh, he talks about uh, how you get an, a sense impression and then a thought comes and then there follows a proliferation of thoughts. One thought mushrooming into many thoughts. There's a, a really good word if you want uh, a, um, a good 
poly word to impress your friends by or to uh, to use as a, uh, an, another onomatopoeic depiction of the problem papancha which means proliferation of thoughts and it sounds like it means papancha you know Uh, um, and since thoughts can get so slippery, uh, many ways to work with them. <clears throat> I'll share a little papancha, a few papancha uh, examples. There's a um, a cartoon in uh, in the states. I don't know if you get it here. Do you get Calvin and Hobbes here? Is that is that a cartoon strip here? Uh, it's really great. Uh, cartoon strip <clears throat> this this boy and his uh, imaginary tiger that he's that's his best friend and in this first frame of this one cartoon uh, Calvin is saying here I am happy and content second frame but not euphoric third frame so now I'm no longer content. <laughs> I'm unhappy. My day is ruined. Next frame, last frame. I need to stop thinking while I'm ahead. <laughs> but uh, if we could only stop thinking while we're ahead, we'd be doing fine. But papancha comes in, uh, in retreats. One expression of papancha is the Vipassana romance, or VR. Do you have that in the terminology here? The VR, Vipassana romance where somebody just catches your eye, kind of your style, and inside of a few days, you have gone through connection, relationship, courtship, Marriage, children, and divorce, you know. <clears throat> Papancha. And there is the, um, the corollary to the Vipassana romance, or that's VR is Vipassana romance. There's the VV, the Vipassana vendetta, where somebody has signed up to this retreat solely to ruin your experience. <laughs> the way they walk, the way they eat, the way they breathe, the way they cough, the way they... Uh, everything. They're there, and if they weren't here, you would be enlightened by now. <laughs> it can get intense, <clears throat> VV. Another way that... Papancha works. Somebody uh, leads a metta meditation and you're trying to do it and then you realize, I am feeling absolutely no metta. I know why. Because I do not know how to love. I know why I don't know how to love. I wasn't loved when I was growing up. <laughs> I was a, a child that received no love. 
And because of that, I'm absolutely not lovable and nobody would ever love me. Mm. The, if you knew how often that happened, <clears throat> just the mind having an experience and psh, it's off. Mm. So, um, as you can see, thoughts create a lot of problems when we believe them. They're as real as they, uh, as we take them to be or as empty as we see them to be. And I wanted, as part of this talk, the first part of this talk, to offer uh, the Buddha's strategies for dealing with distracting thoughts, troublesome thoughts, when uh, mindfulness isn't strong enough. This is um, from the Majjhima Nikaya uh, collections, the middle-length discourses. And this is Majjhima Nikaya number 20. There are 152 discourses in the Majjhima Nikaya. And this is number 20, and it's you know, one of my favorites, if not my favorite. <clears throat> Different ways of dealing with distracting thoughts. And I would start out by saying, the primary way when we're sitting here is to just be mindful and know that the mind is thinking. Even to simply notice, oh, thinking, thinking, can see through the, uh, the solidity of the thought. And, uh, and often it disappears because you're not feeding it, but not always. And that's when you might employ one of these different strategies. This is called the Vitaka Santana Sutta, the relaxation of thoughts or the removal of distracting thoughts. He says, the Buddha says, there is the case where unskillful thoughts imbued with desire, aversion, or delusion arise in the mind while one is trying to meditate. When that happens, the meditator should attend to a different theme. That is, you're having some troublesome thoughts, and he says, think about something else connect connected with what is skillful. And while attending to this other, more skillful theme, um, then those unskillful thoughts are abandoned and subside. And with their abandoning, the mind becomes steadied, right within, settled, unified, and concentrated. And then he gives an example, a, um, a metaphor for each of these. Just as a skilled carpenter or his apprentice would use a small peg to knock out, drive out, and pull out a large one, in the same way, if unskillful, unskillful thoughts filled with desire, aversion, or delusion arise, then one can attend to another theme and that's different from that first one. And when attending to that theme, the mind, those thoughts subside and the mind becomes unified. So what does that mean? If you are having a particular kind of thought, theme of thoughts, you can replace that line of thinking 
with a more skillful line of thinking. Now, this is different than just being mindful and knowing, oh, thinking, thinking. Sometimes those thoughts have a lot of power, and you can't just note it away. So there are antidotes for certain lines of thinking. So, for instance, if uh, you have um, a lot of anger in the mind, any guess what you might replace it with? Metta, with loving kindness. Yeah, beautiful. And that's a very good um, uh, utilization of metta practice. Uh, suppose you're having a lot of doubt. Any idea what you might replace it with? What would be the antidote to doubt? Huh? Faith, yes. And so you might think of somebody who inspires you, or maybe somebody who believes in you, and getting some uh, renewed inspiration. If you have a thought of desire, something is really gripping you, and you are obsessed with it. Any idea what you might reflect on? This guy's been studying or something. Yeah, impermanence. You say, is this going to do it for me? Six months from now? Probably not. And so just to reflect, oh, I want this so much, and it will come and it will go. So this is the, the idea behind this, just seeing if there's a skillful line of thinking that can replace that first one. Okay, makes sense? Um, but, he says, this might not always work. So here's a second strategy. If those unskillful thoughts still arise while attending to a different theme connected with what is skillful, then one should scrutinize the drawbacks of those thoughts and say something like, truly, these thoughts of mine are unskillful. These thoughts of mine result in stress. In another translation, these thoughts of mine are reprehensible. <laughs> Just depends what translation you're reading. And as one scrutinizes the drawbacks of those thoughts, those unskillful thoughts filled with desire, aversion, or delusion, then they are abandoned and subsided and subside, and with their abandoning the mind becomes calm, unified, steady, concentrated. And here's the metaphor. Just as a young woman or a man fond of adornment would be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted if the carcass of a snake or a dog or a human being were hung from their neck. <laughs> In the same way, if these unskillful thoughts still arise while attending another theme, one should scrutinize the drawbacks and saying, these thoughts are unskillful. They result in stress, and as they are scrutinized, 
they subside and are abandoned. What does that mean? If you see a particular theme coming again and again, after a while you might catch on, oh, this is a theme that my mind keeps on playing. And you might just see, wait a moment, I know where this has led, to, led each time before. Uh, do I want to hop on this train? <clears throat> and that is um, the colloquial, I don't know if you have this in, in Australia, we, we have a phrase, don't even go there. Do you have that? Don't go there. Okay, That's kind of what you're saying to yourself. Hold on a second. You don't want to go down that road. Now, easier said than done. But one way that you might just find it helpful to get a frame around the thoughts is to name them, oh, here's this tune, or here's this Here's uh, relationship thoughts, or work thoughts, or Harry thoughts, or whatever it is. And do I want to go there? Uh, I, I'll share with you uh, a um, a story. It was it was a bit like what Jill was talking about last night about the uh, the guy who didn't show up often at the. Uh, uh, at the meetings for a few chunks of uh, for a few months because it was during football season, and uh, I, I knew this very well. And on one retreat, it was I was sitting for uh, it was a six week period, and uh, I'm uh, I have been a big football fan. I'm I'm still a football fan, but um, it, it, actually I don't have the same passion that I used to. Uh, I'm starting to kind of wake up to. What a gross sport it is. <laughs> but I, I still I still watch, but you know and I did check the score today and uh, you know, uh, um, but I uh, in the in the those days when we had the best team in American football and it was just beautiful to watch, uh, I was pretty much um, an over the top fanatic. And I made the mistake before I went on to this fall retreat of looking at the at the schedule. And um, my mind actually, I, I can I won't I can't tell you what I did two days ago, but if I see something, it sticks. I've got you know some memory is still there, some is gone, you know. <laughs> And I saw that schedule, and I knew it. And there's something about when you're in the football season, it's like the games are played on Sunday. Uh, it's Sunday in America today, so there's all, all, all the games. And around Thursday, you're starting to kind of gear up internally. And then, you know, the weekend is coming, and then, uh, and this is... On retreat, I knew, oh, Sunday, they'll be in Atlanta at 1 p.m. And I was just kind of in this mode, 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then three hours from one to three. I had no idea what was going on in the game, right? But in my mind, <laughs> they're playing now. And then it would take me a little while to kind of de uh, decompress after the game. You know, oh, I hope they won. Wow, that was tiring. You know. And this was, I was on the retreat for six weeks, and I thought, this is crazy, you know, because I remembered every, every game, every, every schedule. So by the second week, I said, I've got to figure out something here. And I started to, as Thursday came along, and those thoughts started to come, I just started noting football thoughts. Football thoughts. I noted it a lot. Football thoughts. You know, football thoughts. Football thoughts. You know, you know. But it was different than kind of being in, lost in it and lost in my family. It's just football thoughts. And you might find that <laughs> Harry thoughts or what, whatever. Just, oh, do I really want to jump on that train? Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Buddha offered a third strategy. He says, if those unskillful thoughts still arise while scrutinizing the drawbacks of those thoughts, one should pay no mind and pay no attention to those thoughts. As one is paying no mind and paying no attention to them, those thoughts are abandoned and subside, and with abandoning the mind becomes steadied, concentrated, etc., just as a person with good eyes, not wanting to see forms that had come into range, would close their eyes or look away, in the same way, if those unskillful thoughts arise, the monk should pay no mind and no attention to those thoughts, and as he's paying no, they're paying no attention, they subside and the mind becomes unified and concentrated. What does that mean? Another translation is uh, uh, the meditator should forget those thoughts. And this is sometimes known as forgetfulness and inattention. This is the Buddha saying, forget it and don't pay attention. <clears throat> you might say, the Buddha said don't pay attention? Yeah. He said, don't pay attention, don't give energy to something that's got you hooked. So for instance, if you are uh, in the middle of a whole whirlwind in your mind and you, uh, you, you've seen the drawback but you're still there, or you're trying to do metta but it's still is is uh, is hooking you. This means turn, forget about those. Don't pay attention to those thoughts. Turn your attention elsewhere. For instance, if you are sitting, um, you might just open up to sounds. Just become very interested in sounds. Listen to this. So many uh, bird sounds here. It's fantastic. Just listening to the sounds or um, paying attention to the breath, or uh, noticing some other sensation in your body. So it's really 
turning your attention away from the confusing thoughts and towards something that's actually happening. You might uh, be wondering, well, what's the difference between the first and the third? In the first one, you are consciously bringing up some skillful kind of theme to reflect on, like impermanence or um, compassion or faith or whatever. In this one, you're turning your attention to something else that's actually happening in your field. This is particularly useful if you're trying to focus on, if you are um, focusing on, or it's very apparent, uh, with an unpleasant physical sensation. Sometimes uh, people get the mis- have a misunderstanding that oh, I have this ache in my shoulder and the meditation means to consciously be with what's here. If you can be with what's here in a very balanced, mindful, spacious way, great. But if you're finding yourself getting caught up, uh, because if you stay with an unpleasant sensation for a while, the mind becomes very tired. The, the term withered is sometimes used in the, in the teachings. The mind becomes withered and fatigued, and it will just start to get tighter and tighter. And so you don't have to pay attention to the thing that is very difficult. Just take a break. Turn your attention elsewhere. Very useful. And in the same way in your life as well. If you're really stewing about something, you probably, probably everybody here knows the wisdom in just taking a break and getting distracted by something else. Going for a walk is a really good one. Doing some exercise. Just turning your attention elsewhere. Skillful. It still might not work. So he offered a fourth. If unskillful thoughts still arise while one is paying no mind or paying no attention to those thoughts, then one should attend to the relaxing of thought fabrication with regard to those thoughts. And as as one attends to relaxing of the thought fabrication, those thoughts are abandoned and subside, and the mind becomes steadied and unified. Just as the thought were occurred to someone walking quickly, why am I walking quickly? Why don't I walk slowly? So they would walk slowly. Then the thought might occur to them, why am I walking slowly? Why don't I stand? And so one stands. Then the thought might occur, why am I standing? Why don't I sit down? It's getting better and better. (laughs) And so one sits down. And then the thought occurs, why am I sitting? Why don't I lie down? (laughs) Getting real good, huh? So they lie down. In this way, giving up the grosser posture, one takes the more refined one. And in the same way, if those unskillful thoughts still arise while paying, trying not to pay attention, one should attend to relaxing of the thought fabrication with regard to those thoughts. 
and those thoughts can subside and the mind becomes steadied. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two ways to interpret this. One is the more obvious one. If you're getting all wound up and tight, just chill out. Just relax. Don't over-effort so much. You need some space. And uh, it's, it's a bit different than just turning your attention elsewhere and taking a break. This is consciously relaxing. And you might find that you can do this sometimes uh, in your sitting where you just take a few deep breaths and consciously just relax. And the same way in your life when you're finding yourself all wound up, how helpful it is to just relax. Hold on a moment here. Let's get some space. There's another interpretation of this with regarding to stilling the thought formations. And that is you can get a sense where are those thoughts coming from? One way to do that, you might sense, oh, all of these thoughts are sourced in a feeling that's not being attended to. Oh, there's some um, tightness here, some fear here, some worry here, and it's giving rise to this whole train of thought. And then going into feeling where that feeling is can be useful. Or even another way to get to the source of the thoughts, where do those thoughts come from? You know, it's kind of like that big mind meditation, just arising out of nowhere, returning to nowhere, all on their own. And in that way, you're not so identified with the content but you're just seeing the arising of thoughts either from a, a, an emotion or just out of the ground of being. <clears throat> so, maybe that'll work. But if not, the Buddha has um, the strategy of last resort. Bring on the cavalry. <clears throat> And I say this with some caution, but I'll share it anyway. If those unskillful thoughts still arise while attending to the relaxing of the thought fabrication, then with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. As one is doing this with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth and beating down, constraining and crushing the mind with that awareness, those thoughts are abandoned and subside and the mind becomes quieted. Just as a strong man seizing a weaker man by the head or the throat or the shoulders would beat him down, crush him, 
and constrain him, one does that with one's mind. And the mind becomes quieted and settled. Wow. Now you have to realize, first of all, that the Buddha was from the Kshatriya class, the warrior class. And there are a number of warrior images in, in the practice. One can conquer the mind. One can uh, crush the mind with mind. This can be understood. This is the way I understand it. Uh, in my experience and in working with people, it doesn't usually work if you're trying to crush your mind with frustration, anger, and aversion. You will just be working against yourself and get tighter and tighter. But if you think of it as a very fierce, tough love that says, enough, that's enough. Just like a mother would say to a, a child, um, as they're about to put their hand on the stove, no! Or somebody, or a child running out into the street, stop! Saying it with love, but very clearly, very strongly, what is the truth. There can be a skill in that, up to a point. And perhaps you've seen this in your own not only meditation practice, maybe in your life, sometimes your mind is just spinning around, spinning around, spinning, like a little child that's having a tantrum, and you just say, enough now. Have you ever done that? How many people have said that to themselves? Oh, yeah. Sometimes it works. Uh, and so it can be just this very strong determination, but from what I've seen, it has to be done with love. It has to be done where your mind isn't the enemy. It's just a kind of unruly child. So those are five of, those, uh, of the strategies. Primary one being mindfulness. But you can see with all of these different strategies, there's lots of different methods that the Buddha suggests. So, what's the teaching in this? First of all, when you have the thought, am I doing it right? Just reflect that there's no one right way to do it. Don't give yourself a failing mark because you're not being mindful and able to stay just with what's here right now. There's lots of different ways. And part of the, the uh, development of practice is having a number of different tools in your toolkit that you can use as, as needed. Uh, and it's, it's really um, uh, a sign of maturing practice to see, oh, there are many skillful means. There's a famous story of um, Ajahn Chah, who was Jack Cornfield and Ajahn Sumedho's teacher. And uh, uh, he was 
he was asked, you know, he says, uh, um, uh, it might have been Jack that asked him, uh, you know, sometimes you seem very inconsistent in your teaching. You say something to one person and then something exactly the opposite to somebody else. You know, what, 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 what gives here? And Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's like this. Uh, I know, it's like, I know this road, this path, uh, pretty well. And if I see somebody going over to the left and about to fall into a ditch, I'll say, go right, go right. Somebody else might be about to fall in the ditch on the right. I'll say, go left, go left. So it's not that one size fits all. You have to get a sense of what somebody needs at that time. Jack wrote a really uh, wonderful book that um, the original title was Living Buddhist Masters. Um, and it was 12... Burmese and Thai masters in the Theravadan tradition. Um, however, because of impermanence, uh, at some point the title had to change because uh, most of them weren't living anymore. And now it's called Living Dharma. A beautiful book. And these 12 different masters, Ajahn Chah, and Mahasi Sayadaw, and Uba Kin, and uh, Buddha Dasa, and uh, all, all the great masters, they each had their own way of doing Vipassana practice. And you read that book, and it's so refreshing. Some of them, not all of them, some of them said, this is the right way to do practice. Some of them, particularly the wisest among, saying, this is my way to do the practice and this is a way that I offer that you might try. So many, and they're very, very different. Some you uh, just notice, uh, notice the mind moving towards or moving away from experience. Some, you're, one, you're mentally noting every single moment. One, you, uh, you're doing very intense breathing. Sunlan Sayadaw, where you're doing that for about an hour or so. Intense. And then you stop and you see the impermanence as, as the world is buzzing around, you know. <laughs> Lots of, and they're, they're, they're very powerful methods. So not to think that there's only one way to do it. Go to different uh, teachers. On, at Spirit Rock, you know, we have, often we have like five teachers or so who are uh, teaching together, and usually you're pad, paired with two teachers. And you go into, uh, into a teacher with a practice discussion, and, um, and the teacher uh, might give you a reply, and you come walking out and saying, Gosh, they knew exactly what to say. And if you'd gone to another teacher, they might have told you ex something completely different and you could be walking out saying, gosh, they knew exactly what to say. You know, because there's many different ways. So, what is the teaching? Who do you turn to? 
Who do you trust? Who do you think? Ultimately, we're arriving at the Buddha right inside. Now, it's a really good thing to, um, to practice with somebody who's familiar with the territory and who might give you some um, good guidance. And I would say if you're working with somebody and you have some trust in them, you might first take in what they have to say and see, well, let's see, yeah, I'll try that. But they might say something that inside of you says, I don't know if that fits. Trust it. Because ultimately, you are the authority. And here is, here is the Buddha in the discourse that hooked me, which you might be familiar with, the Kalama Sutta. Maybe I mentioned this here, where all these, uh, the Kalamas have all these teachers going through. Did I mention that here? What? I was in the group, yeah. And all of these different teachers coming, uh, coming through, and then the Buddha comes and he says, I want to share with you the Dharma, the truth of the way things are. And they say, a whole lot of people have come through and said that they've got the truth, and now you're saying you've got the truth, this is really confusing. Who are we supposed to believe? It's, it's a, there's a lot of doubt here. And he says, it is indeed fitting, Kalamas, to be uncertain. It is fitting to doubt. In situations of uncertainty, doubts surely arise. You should decide what's true, Kalamas, not by what you've heard, not by following convention, not by assuming it is so, not by relying on the texts, not because of reasoning, not because of logic, not by thinking about explanations, not by acquiescing to the views that you prefer, not because it appears likely, and certainly not out of respect for a teacher, including the Buddha. But when you would know Kalamas for yourselves, these things are unhealthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards harm and suffering, then Kalamas, you should reject them. And when you know for yourselves, these things are healthy. These things, when entered upon and undertaken, inclined towards welfare and happiness, then Kalamas, having come to them, you should stay with them. So ultimately, he's saying, you've got to check out your actual experience. So what does this mean? Trusting in oneself can be a little bit tricky, especially when there's so many voices. How do I know which one to listen to? Well, you listen to yourself anyway, right? You might as well learn how to listen to yourself because one voice after another hooks us. We say, uh-oh, what if that happens? And there you are, you've just listened to that voice. How do you know what voice to hear and what voice to listen to? 
And this is where um, the power of trust comes in. And it's not trusting in yourself, but it's really trusting in the awareness. The thought of trusting in myself was, was kind of like scary because I led myself down uh, roads I shouldn't have gone a lot in my life. But as you become more and more skilled at listening, you get better and better at discerning the different voices that are coming through. This is what uh, Ajahn Chah and Mahabua, another great teacher, called uh, trusting in your Buddha knowing, or trusting in the one who knows. And by the one who knows, he wasn't saying trusting in your habit patterns in your mind, but trusting in a deeper way. This is different from James knowing, but rather more listening for the answer. If you are having an insight, in order to have an insight, you know, this is called insight meditation. Sometimes there's insights that arise from time to time. And it's really powerful when you do, when you have one. In order to have an insight, there's this feeling of, aha, oh, look at that. I never saw that before. And that means that the mind is open and surprised even. But when you have that aha experience, you know. This is very different than, let's see how clever I can be. I'm going to figure this out. Yep, pretty clever. That's not an insight. In order to have that opening experience, it means you're letting go of figuring out. There's a, a great line, maybe I mentioned it here already, in the Third Zen Patriarch. Stop talking and thinking. Did I say this line? Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. That's often how it works, isn't it? Stop talking. Like I said yesterday about not figuring out. Stop, to, or two days ago. When you stop figuring out, then there's enough space in the mind for the wisdom to shine through. So this is really a practice of learning how to listen. Uh, and the image that I find helpful in this is uh, the, the Tibetan yogi, Milarepa. Uh, if you have done any um, Tibetan practice, then you know Milarepa, the great yogi Milarepa. Uh, you can always tell in the tankas of when it's Milarepa, he has his hand to his ear, listening to the song of the truth, listening to the 100,000 song, Dharma songs. Ah, this is Milarepa. This is what we're learning here. We're learning how to listen to the truth. And we're doing it in every moment that we're mindful. This is the truth in this moment. Ah, here's a sound. The tr here's the truth. Here's the breath. 
here's the truth in this moment, here's a sensation or a mood. And the more you're connected with what's true in this moment, the better and better you get at listening to the truth deep down inside when it presents itself. And learning how to discern between all those various voices is, um, is a real skill that absolutely gets developed. And we all have a sense of how to do this from time to time, but I just want to point out in this talk that you can refine it more and more because when you do, it is the key to leading your life. Let me ask you maybe to reflect on um, a good decision that you may, you've made in your life. Maybe you were at a fork in the road and you didn't know which way to go and somehow you connected with the truth. If you can, remember back or maybe even today when you had a, a decision that became clear. And if you can recall, how do you know that you can trust that one? Any cues that you are connecting with that let you know? Okay, you can open your eyes. How do you know? Maybe someone else who hasn't. How do you know? What's that? What are the feelings? Ah, okay, that's one. Just a feeling of content. Yes. There's many answers here. Your body is... And what are you aware of in your body? Okay, sensation of being, your heart, your breath. What happens to your breath? Slows down. Slows down, okay. Yeah, what else? What is it? Peace. A feeling of peace. Mmm, yes. Okay. Jen? It just feels right. It's almost yeah. It just feels right. And what I want to maybe tease out a little is how you know that it feels right. And maybe you don't even put it into words, but the more you kind of get a sense of the cues, the more you can have your, you can tune into that as well. Yes. Uh, suddenly becomes ah, unequivocal. Just becomes clear, unequivocal, unequivocal, obvious. Yes. Anybody else? A lightness. That's often yeah, kind of like the breath slowing down, and a lightness arises. Anything else? 
Uh -huh. Yeah, messages from outside confirm. Yep, you know, you get three messages in, in a few days saying, uh-oh, okay, I think I'm supposed to check that out. That happens, yes. Any, anything else? Inspiration, yeah, a feeling of uplift, yeah. Any other? I'm not looking for any particular answer. There's just so many. Is uh, I find uh, a feeling of alignment. Just everything falls into place. Or a feeling of aliveness or of expansion both in my body and in my mind, many, many different ways. That truth is right inside of you. And rather than trying to pull it out, if you listen, like Milarepa, and just feel the rightness of it, and maybe you aren't quite there just yet, maybe you're still getting more information, and all you can go by is what you have now. But listening inside in your body is very different than listening to all the different voices in the mind. It's right, the Buddha is right inside of you. That's when we take refuge in the Buddha. We're taking refuge in this truth that's right inside of us. Is this, uh, uh, this anecdote of Michelangelo after um, after he'd finished that uh, amazing masterpiece, David, uh, and uh, someone was lavishing praise on him for his skill, and uh, Michelangelo brushed aside the compliment by saying, "The man was already in the stone. I merely removed all the pieces of rock that kept him from being seen." There's a Buddha right inside of you. It's just a matter of removing the rock and the obscurations that keep you from connecting inside. This is who you are. This is, again, the Buddha. He says, luminous is this mind, brightly shining, but it is colored by attachments that visit it. This the unlearned ones do not really understand, and so do not cultivate the mind. Luminous is this mind, brightly shining, and it is free of the attachments that visit it. This the noble follower of the way really understands, and so for them there is cultivation of the mind. But it starts with seeing there's a Buddha right inside of you. Now, how do you get in touch with this natural wisdom and love that's right in there? A few tips that I find. One is, as I said before, stop trying to figure it out. That's a sure way to get in your way. And rather, just be mindful, be present, and notice how it feels. And that means, among other things, learning to listen. And learning to listen 
as far as the voices go, listen to the tone of the voice. If that thought is coming through with a finger wagging saying, don't blow it, or how pathetic that choice is, don't listen to it. Any kind of finger wagging, judgmental tone, this is likely just the small mind of fear telling you something that you don't need. But if you can hear a voice that is kind, that is supportive, that is um, on your side, you can start trusting that a bit more. If you can feel, like we just said, in the body, ah, yes, there's a rightness to this, there's an alignment, there's an ease, start to listen to it. Be present for its energy. And just really get to know, be familiar with that that quality. And sometimes you might not be ready to come up with an answer or a decision. You know, you're saying, what should I do? What should I do? If you don't have to make a decision, then don't hurry it up. And keep on listening. It might not be time yet. Maybe you don't know enough, have enough information yet. But if you do have to make a decision, then start trusting yourself to take the very first step. This is what feels right to me now. Your mind might say, "Uh uh-oh, it feels right now, but what if it's not a week from now? You can go back and forth. Believe me, I know what it's like to second-guess myself. Back and forth. Oh, but what if this? And what if this? If you're faced with decisions in your life, all you can do is be right where you are now and see how it goes. And I learned this uh, from a very wise man. I write about this in in, uh, Awakening Joy. Um, Very, uh, very wonderful piece of wisdom of trusting in the unfolding. When I was at a crossroads in my own life, uh, I had been a school teacher for a number of years in, in New York, for about 10 years in New York. And um, it was really good for many years, but then the last few years, I, I felt there was something more to do, and, I, and I, I, f- I was starting to get not as enthusiastic about teaching, which if you don't have the energy for it, it can get old very quickly. Other teachers here? A very, I bow to you, a very important job. So there I was teaching in New York, but... I didn't want to leave because I had job security. I was making $17,000 in a year, which was a lot of money in those days for one guy. And I thought, what would I do if I leave my job? And then there was the meditation center that had just opened up and that I had sat a retreat already, a three-month retreat. And I said... Um, Hmm, maybe I'll go up to the meditation center and, and work there. 
and be on staff there because I'd fallen in love with the Dharma by then. And then I thought, well, maybe I will move out to California, which sounded really good. There were some greener pastures out there. I was living in New York. It was enough already from New York. But maybe I'll finally do my Asian experience and travel to, to Asia. So I had these four choices, and they all seemed to make sense. And I didn't want to blow it. And I was going around and around in my mind. What should I do? And finally, that summer I was out in Colorado as I, am, as I was every summer in Naropa, and I decided to visit this um, very wise man who had helped me out before, whose name was Reverend Miller. He was a psychic. Five dollars a reading. <laughs> He wasn't in it for the money. <laughs> Very wise. And I said, I know. I'm going to go see Reverend Miller. I'm out here. Let's get this figured out. And I went to see him. He, was, he looked like <coughs> Colonel Sanders, just like Colonel Sanders. Big belly and uh, kind of goatee like this and, uh, and glasses and a really sweet face. And uh, I gave him my... Uh, dilemma, and I had all of these choices, and uh, I said, uh, help me out here. What should I do? And he said, um, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he said, but I will tell you one thing. I said, yeah, what? He said, doesn't matter. I said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? That's my life you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, if you are frozen in fear and indecision, then your guides, he believed in spirit guides, your guides won't be able to support you. You're just going to be stuck. But if you put yourself in motion, if you need to make that choice, just put yourself in motion, and then your guides can help, help you find your way. And you might go in one direction and notice, oh, yeah, this feels right. Or you might go in one direction, and then it becomes clear, no, not that one. Need to use, try another alternative. Or you might start out in one direction and a door opens that you never could have thought of because that's how life works. So he said, just so, my friend, it doesn't matter. You put yourself in motion and keep on listening to how life is unfolding. And the key is to keep listening and seeing, is this aligned with my values and with my, my dream? And life will keep on revealing itself to you. So, with all of this, I just want to uh, encourage you, when you're doing your Dharma practice, don't be concerned about blowing it. Don't be concerned about doing it wrong. This is often a trial and error kind of a process. And it's all an exploration. It's all an investigation to hear 
the truth inside. Take all the wisdom you can from around you, from good teachers or good books, but ultimately, this is what the Buddha is that you're listening to. And I'll leave you with the Buddha's words on the Buddha's final words on this topic. This is uh, from the Parinibbana Sutta, just before the Buddha passed away. He said, therefore, be a lamp unto yourself. Be a, refu a refuge to yourself. Betake yourself no external refuge. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Hold fast to the truth as a refuge. Do not look for a refuge in anyone besides yourself. And those who either now or after I'm dead shall be a lamp unto themselves, shall betake themselves to no external refuge, but hold fast to the truth as their lamp, and hold fast to the truth as their refuge, shall not look for refuge to anyone besides themselves. It is they who shall reach the very topmost height. But they must be anxious to learn. So just keep on with that sincerity of loving the truth. That's what all of this is. Just keep on stoking the love you have for the truth and keep on listening and know that the refuge is right here inside. So we'll sit for a moment. Thank you for your attention. So um, let's take about uh, 20 minutes or so for walking and we'll come back for another sit, a short sit.